0: Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Archery Country Podcast as we are rolling in St. Cloud Weight Park location today. I have Brandon along with Jake and John here. Super excited about this podcast because we are talking with a superstar from a company that is five star and plus. Matthews, we have a Matthews uh, design engineer and manager coming to us from Wisconsin, Mr. Mark Hayes. How you doing, Mark?
1: I'm doing great, guys, and thanks for the intro. I definitely didn't deserve that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you are a superstar because you've been on some Matthews videos, and you go to a lot of big shoots, and you shoot a lot of big animals, and you're part of an outstanding company. And on that basis, um, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little background about you personally, your hunting career, your, your target archery career, and then also your career with Matthews, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, as you could guess, probably all those topics are intertwined and, uh, we'll keep it short, but, um, basically this is, I'm doing my dream job. Uh, when I was 16, I decided I was going to be a engineer and I wanted to work in the archery, uh, world. So, um which a lot of kids have that goal uh, for sure. But um, I, I was able to um, go to a really good engineering school, uh, kind of stay focused on um, my, in, my end goal, which was to, to work in the industry, but specifically for Matthews. I started writing Matthews letters when I was basically 15 or 16 when I decided and kind of kept it going and was able to, um, shot in the dark at a internship uh which we don't really do internships here but got one um, my junior year in college and then had a fantastic time here obviously learning the ins and outs of the company and what they stand for and the people that are here um was invited to come back after i graduated as a full-time position so um that story was definitely uh means a lot to me. Like I said, I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and I get to work with people that that are doing exactly what they want to do. So, a lot of passion in the company, a lot of people that just care about making the best products in the industry, products that they would want to use. Um, My hunting career, I started hunting with uh, my dad, like a lot of us do, and um, he was an archery hunter, always shot a Matthews, and that's kind of where my love started for uh, the brand. But Um, We grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so uh, hill country deer and never really uh, didn't know much about, like, agriculture and stuff like that. It's hill country stuff and learning whitetails and and just monotonous timber, and I think I really got to cut my teeth in the mountains of Pennsylvania, which was really cool, but since moving out here, I've I've really gotten into a lot of different things, Uh, a western hunt, or two a year is something that i really prioritize it's a great way to kick off the season um, and get ready for my passion and you guys do i assume is uh you know the whitetails that are around here and just the the smartest animal in the world really a mature whitetail to pursue so um love doing all of that stuff um had the opportunities to do a lot of things a lot of people that uh know more than i do have uh, shown me around and and part of the other part of the off season is, um, you know, target archery hasn't been something that I was even aware of. I shot local three D's when I was a kid and stuff, but one of our corporate structures and, um, things we do is purposefully send employees to shoots to shoot them. Um, and you can't, you guys have been to sh- all kinds of shoots, but, um, you cannot replace the knowledge that you gain just from being around people that are passionate about target archery. I mean, it, it is just a different breed of, of person um, that is so detailed and realistic in what it, what can be achieved and how it can be achieved um, with archery. It's where, really where you learn um, how far you can take a component, how accurate that component can be regardless of the situation it's been in, uh, the mental aspect. what. You know, we test all kinds of stuff, but what, how does a, the shooter mentally um, take, in, take that into account? And then the other part is just relationships with our pro staff and the people um, that enjoy our product. So we get to be a face to people and a contact that uh, really helps in, like I said, the mental game for both the amateurs, but especially the pros.
0: Absolutely. And and by all means, we're not going to downplay any other company in the business, but that's one thing. uh, And Jake, you can attest to this going to a ton of shoots is you don't see a lot of other clientele from other customers, especially the design team and the engineers. But, you know, we've gotten a chance to stand on the line at Vegas with some of the Matthews uh, personnel, rather be flights or in the pro class or reading and in the ASAs and and they're the guys, not only are they pouring their heart into it, but you're, you're actually taking in intel. You're, you're doing work. You're, you're talking to people. And it doesn't have to be just a pro staff. You know, I mean, you guys are open ears to everybody, and you have great booths. And, and a lot of times, I think in the hunting industry, people will put their thumb down on target archery, but that's where a mass majority of, uh, you know, stuff that you guys are actually putting into your bows and your risers and, and your design is coming from that world a little bit
1: you know? Definitely. Um, We definitely cut our teeth in in target archery and you see that continuity between our hunting line and our target line uh, wherever we can. And and the other thing too is is the guys that are going to the shoots and nothing against people that haven't, I'm just using this as an encouragement that those are probably the best shooters in your local area that are going to these national shoots. And so those guys are going to learn something at a shoot and bring it back to a shop and, be able to tell everyone else about it, you know? That's kind of the trickle-down of information that we have seen.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, like, I I think there isn't a whole lot of um, aspect put on, like, if your goal is to be a good hunter and to make clutch shots, uh, I know for myself, if I'm shooting some national tournaments and things where I have more pressure on, I know what that feeling's like. I have a better chance of being successful in those high-pressure situations. Even if I'm not in the running to win a national tournament, um, but if I can get myself in a, in a spot where you feel some pressure and you feel, you know, how do you work through those things?
1: Definitely. You cannot practice your heart pumping that hard. And I think, it,
0: to- like, as far as equipment, um, you know, from accessories, but more or less your bow, uh, learning how a piece of equipment performs under pressure, um, that's a general term. Uh, but you can tell a lot about your bow uh, when you're put into those situations, you know, where if, if you come into the shop, and you're shooting at a bale that's five yards away and everything's working and and yeah I love it but to really you know put your equipment under pressure that'll tell you a lot and 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 that shows when you guys are actually taking the bows and putting yourself in that predicament and seeing how they handle you know and you can go back and change something if you have or if you have to
1: exactly yeah and to just see others how they react too because we have a different perspective um we have an a great amount of trust in the product, um, that helps our mental game. But to see someone that doesn't really know the product as well and see them succeed with it in a pressure situation, that's when, you know, you have something that's quote unquote forgiving. And I think that when people say that word, not a lot of people know exactly what they're talking about, but it's, can it perform under pressure when you are breaking down in form in mental and nerves, you know, that's what forgiving is.
0: That is a that is awesome. How big is your? So you're the design engineer manager. How big is your team? Without getting into specific details, uh, before we turn open up the whole world on questions, how big a team do yeah. you guys run?
1: So we got six guys um, in. I guess you could call it my team, but we are structured a little bit differently. Matt is still super heavily involved in our lead designer. And he has four guys of his own and they're across the street. Um, our team is um, kind of the liaison between Matt's team and manufacturing. We're, we're the support group for Matt and we are getting new products in uh, the pipeline and ready for manufacturing so that when we have, when we press go on the machine on a new product, we have already tested a bunch of that those things and there's not um, hiccups and there's not surprises. And that's really um, important if you're trying to hit such a tight timeline that we are to um, design new product but ship new product. Um, those things in the past have not been as intertwined and you can see it in um, when people you know, miss dates for shipping and things like that those are surprises in the manufacturing process that we're not taking into account and so our, like I said our goals are twofold one to get match genius into a product that can be manufactured and then also just to support his team uh, be running um, basically as fast as he is
0: yeah that's a uh, that's it's eye-opening or ear opening in this case um, so the great thing about Matthews uh, being one of the number one, I guess you say, of the top five or top three.
2: I think you can pretty much say right at the top. Yeah, you know,
0: they uh, you guys have hit a home run. Uh, and I, personal experience, I haven't shot Matthews, but for the last three years. And Jake actually turned me on to the, to the bows. They've been around, and I've seen them, you know, coming from the target world. Uh, you guys have hit a home run in, in the latest product, uh, the VXR. Uh, based on that if we dig a little bit into that bow specific you know how long how long is is there one bow i should say in the last five years and we'll even go back to 20 years but is did that bow take more of your time on planning uh and you know we're talking years ahead of the schedule but how much detail and time did you have to put into the vxr yeah
1: so thank you for that compliment we the vxr has uh done extremely well we're very happy with with the product this year um now you talk about time there's um there's a lot of things that go obviously into a bow Um, one of the things that takes the most time for us though is at the end of the day we cannot launch a product a new product that is worse in any way um, than last year so um a bow is a system and you know everything has to work together. And where I'm getting at is the efficiency of, of the system is the utmost important for us as an engineering department. So basically what a, a user puts in, the effort he puts in to pull the boat back, you have to, we want to get as much energy into that arrow as they put in as possible. And and the reason is twofold. One, um, you, you don't want to have wasted energy because that, that turns into, noise, vibration, heat, loss of energy. You do not want that because your, your arrow is going to be slower because of it and the experience is going to be worse. And those are two things that I think Matthews in general really key in on is, is the experience of the bow because, you know, I, I've heard it before said like, well, why does vibration really matter? It, it matters because when, when you have a bow that has very little vibration, like the VXR thirty-one and a half and twenty-eight. It's a pleasure to shoot. For one, um, it it has it's quieter because vibration is a form of sound. You know, it's if, if something's moving. It's moving the air molecules and creating sound. And in three, it's more efficient. And and that that's what really not just because we want it to be no vibration do we make it no vibration but we want more energy going into the arrow not going into vibrating the riser or the the handle of the bow so yeah i I hear that a lot where like what why why do you focus so much on vibration damping and it's because we are looking at both sides of the equation we're looking at getting the most efficient bow so there's less energy to actually vibrate the bow. And then now that there is energy in the bow, because you can't have a 100% efficient system ever, how do we mitigate that? And that's with a lot of things, but like one obvious one would be the 3D damping and the EHS uh, damper out front.
2: Yeah, and I know I was just shooting my 31.5 the other night, and I mean— Still, every time I shoot it, I shoot it, and I'm like, man, this thing is so smooth and so nice to shoot. It's not taxing. At the end of the day, you don't want to go out there and get vibrated the heck out of you and, and make it work to shoot your bow, too. So I think a guy to practice more, and, and you'll enjoy the experience more if if you don't hurt from it, your joints don't hurt. I mean, it's, it, it is a experience shooting the bow. Yeah.
3: Hey, hey, Mark. Oh, Mark, yeah. hey, it's, it's Brandon here. Um, one thing just as you're talking about that, I've, I've been shooting in Matthews, I think, now for like 17 years. And I get the new one, at least new one new one every year. And I can definitely test as the years go on. It's amazing that every year your bows seem to get a little smoother and a little quieter. Um, one question that I had, and I don't know how much you can answer this or not, but how many bows um, don't make it into the line? Like as you guys are doing your testing and stuff, do, do you come out with a bow and make a couple demos and you're shooting them and then they don't make the cut does that happen a lot or not really
1: i got a room full of them oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and not not to say sometimes it is a whole bow that will just scrap um that has definitely happened um a lot of the times it's iterations of a bow we're trying to make so um it, i mean it just happened recently that like we were done, done with a, thing, with a bow and just not, not totally happy with it. And we scrapped it and changed it and made it better because, and, and that's kind of where I was hitting at, that we do not accept it so extremely that we will kill two months of work to make sure we get it right. We will, we will throw two months of work away to make sure it's right. And I think that's one of the things that really sets us apart that we were able to move so fast. And are so passionate about our product and care so much that we are not afraid to, at the end of the day, when we've done all the work and the bow is ready, if someone doesn't like one aspect of it, we're not afraid to start over and to fix that thing. So um, it, it means a lot to us to hear that we can't believe that they get better every year and all this stuff because that's really what it is. We're not going to accept a product that is subpar. Um, our best we we've tried to make every year the, the best product that we have ever made and it gets old to hear i know but the the fact is it doesn't it doesn't get signed off until it's better until we are all for sure yes this is better for these reasons and and i think it, it's really a compliment to us when we hear that that i can't believe they get better every year because it, it it's really taxing on the the group for sure to throw away work but at the the end of the day it's all about doing the right thing making the best product we can
2: yeah and i can i can think you know i don't know what how long is it since a feather lights come out i mean 20 some years and i can remember shooting my feather light uh, that's got to be over 25 years 26 years and uh shooting that thing and being like i don't know if they'll ever engineer anything better than that (laughs) and then year after year after year and now i just quit worrying about it i just know you guys will do it
3: yeah, and it's good that you touched on that, because I know um, in the stores here we get a lot, of, a lot of people saying that we sound like broken records every year, and we're telling them, like, hey, this year's bow is smoother and better than last year's, and oh, you guys always say that. But it, it's nice to hear you kind of touch on how you guys go about that, and that is your goal is to make it better than last year, and you won't accept anything less, so kind of nice to hear it from uh, a guy that's making them, or, or one of the guys that's helping,
0: and I think the you we were word, we worded passion, you know, these guys pour their heart and soul into their products. And, and the slogan, how do we make the best better? And as far as a sales point, we, we don't have to talk. I mean, literally, you'd, the one with the way media and the proficiency of advertising, but just grab the bow and shoot it. And right. 99.9% of the time people will go, well, okay, set it up. Um, It's a bow that literally sells itself.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, and and Mark can probably hit on this a little bit, Um, you know, I think, like, the VXRs, especially the VXRs and some of their newer bows lately not only have that experience that they've always had but then have so many other features and small things into it, you know? Like, for me this year, you know, I figured the bow I was going to shoot, and then you figure their rest their integrated rest, which fits on their bow really well. And then, I mean, for me, like it may seem simple, but one of the nicest things that I think I've ever had on a bow is the bow legs that are, that go on the limb pocket, you know, Uh sitting in the ground blind shooting in my yard. I'm like, I don't even want to touch any other bow because. Well, yeah, balances.
0: did the the, the dude that invented that, did he get a substantial raise? (laughs) Yeah. Or was it Definitely. you?
1: <laughs> it might have been you, I guess. At least so a high we, five. We have the benefit of just incredible hunters. And, and one of those guys is uh, Joel Maxfield, the second employee ever. Um, you guys probably know Joel. Oh, yeah, know Joel. He, he, um, he's just like a, a wealth of uh, knowledge for hunting, but also just like has these ideas. And and knows us well enough to just, all he has to do is, like, write a sticky note, like, hey, we should do something because I don't like leaning my bow up in a ground blind. Or, like, you know, just, and that's kind of the story of those limb legs. It was a sticky note on my desk. (laughs) Like, hey, this sucks, let's fix it. And he, uh, but uh, one of our guys, Amos Lees, kind of took that project and absolutely nailed it. I'm glad you guys brought that up because those engaged limb legs, kind of changed the way I use my bow all the time you know I I shot all my winter league when we had it before corona like with the limb legs on because you don't have to hang your bow up you literally just leave it at the at the line I got to crawl into a buck bed this year and it was snowy and I had to be on the ground and I had to keep glassing because I couldn't go too far I had the limb legs on and I didn't even think about it till afterwards but like all I did was put my boat out and I didn't have to lay it in the snow. I didn't have to do anything. And I just kept pulling my binos up. It's just like, it's products like that, that make you more effective in the field that we're looking for. And I appreciate you bringing up the accessory line because something we took, take a lot of pride in. And it, it's a fun thing for us because we get to look at a situation. Like this is not as ideal as it could be. What would be the best way to do this thing? And, and tackle an accessory with that mindset, and we get the benefit of making it fit perfectly on our platform, on our bow. And,
0: and as we're, tack- we're, go ahead how it fit.
1: As we're going sorry, down go that ahead,
0: highway but- of accessories, and something that a lot of us here, um, the bows weren't released for us. Some of us got them you know at the tail end of hunting season, but not only the engaged limb legs. But the SCS system, I believe, and I just, I, the other day, we, I always set a tree stand there in the backyard the, to pull your bow up and not tying a rope around the cam or the limbs. Um, and then, of course, the sling. I never, ever thought about, you know, having a sling. I'm the guy that has a big 15-inch bar on the front of it, and I'm carrying it to the woods. But the sling is, I mean, that's just another part or another accessory that is, it's going to be a must-have you know, in the future for products going yeah, on. That's,
1: that's a funny one too. Uh, one, Matt's main assistant, Brandon Gann, last year uh, cobbled his verdicts up with it and was like, this is better. We should do this. And and the more we thought about it and, and looked at it, like, yeah, duh, let's do that. And, and so I, I had this similar experience. I've never been a swing guy ever. Um, and I went on two hunts one in Utah and one in Nebraska this year. And I had a sling with me and my gosh, I was using it every day after I didn't think I'd use it at all. And it just changes the way you hunt. And that, and that's kind of where I was going with any accessory. Like it makes the, you more effective in the field. Like the, the thing that really got me is when you're crawling in on an antelope in Nebraska and the grass is only like eight inches high, pushing your bow through is tiring. It and it, it's less effective. I mean, you got to be on your binos and you got to be on your rangefinder. This year with the sling, I was able to cinch that to my back and hands free for the first time ever crawl. And you're crawling for hundreds of yards sometimes. And to be hands free to crawl when you when you're crawling up on an antelope, it's like it, it completely changed and made you made me more effective. And I think other people had the same experience that yeah, this is way better. Um, you know, you can also cinch that sling down, which I was able to do this year and shoot it, put that on as long as like you have a stabilizer and your sight kind of keeps it out of the way, but you can pull that cinch cord and it just, it makes when, you know, when something's good, whenever you don't have to think about it anymore, when it just, it becomes part of your routine and it has disappeared because it's just that useful. It's made your life easier.
2: Yeah, and I think too, you know, you talk about like a Western hunt, and like a sling. Um, we can all think of the advantages of that real easy. But like, you know, I was hunting late season with mine, and cold weather. You know, your hands are cold. You don't want to hang on to stuff. It's nice to have that sling just to walk to your tree stand, even if it's only, um, you know, two hundred yards or quarter mile. Uh, you know, it oh yeah, and those, you're yeah, those, a
1: bunch of clothes.
2: yeah. Exactly. Those little things, you know, can help make that hunt just a little bit better.
0: Absolutely. The, um, there's so much to talk about on that platform. And last year, you guys had the verdicts, which incorporated the new switch weight mods, um, revolutionized the industry as far as, as performance goes, you know, just switching out the mod and having your bow maxed out. Um, and where did that... Was that a multi-year process, or is that it? Was that just a accidental deal? I'm I'm assuming it wasn't. But um, what came about the switchweight mod system?
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we have a bank of things that we would like to implement at some time, and we kind of just wait for the right platform. The Verdicts just ended up being exactly the right platform to try this thing on. And same thing with like the engage grip that, um, you know, whenever we kind of were playing with it, but we we're looking for the right bow to put it on and the verdicts had that as well. But back to switch weight, switch weight is a thing that Matt had um, invented and actually did something similar on a, most people don't remember this bow, but the mission rally had uh, a version of switch weight on it. Um, it. It was a mission target bow. Uh, and so like back in those were, that was a few years before the verdicts came out and then, We perfected it on the verdicts, and and the cool thing about the switch weight is, well, there's a lot of things, but one, we're able to perfectly um, control the draw force curve uh, at every peak weight, including five-pound weights, without um, sacrificing stored energy, and what I mean by that is if, if you start backing out your limb bolts, your draw force curve changes, and you're losing stored energy, and that's one of the reasons why people say, "Oh, a 60-pound, a 70-pound bow backs out to 60 is less efficient." What they're what is actually happening is just you're storing less energy. Your your limbs aren't deflected the way that uh, they need to be uh, to to have that perfect curve. So that's why, like a 60-pound mod on a Vertex is going to have a perfect uh, draw force curve every time. The other cool thing was, you know, for the user, obviously he gets to change that out super simple, but also your bow is way more valuable now. Like uh, in a few years, if that bow gets down the road and you're ready for a new one and you go to sell it, you can sell it to anybody. And it's really has helped the whole limb and, you know, draw length and all this stuff issue of you can make that bow whatever you need it to be for whoever, maybe you're handing it down to your son or something with an easy four screws in and out. You have a bow that fits another person and did not sacrifice any performance. And that's the biggest thing that you're, you're not sacrificing performance. You're actually improving performance because the draw force curves are, are perfect at the peak weight.
2: So, you know, we have people kind of hit on this in the stores every once in a while where they wonder why it's not a rotating mod on some of the Matthews. Is that because of performance to at each of the draw lengths?
1: Absolutely. We, we care about those shorter draw lengths. I'm a 28, so um, a, a rotating mod traditionally is going to be perfectly suited at an IBO rating so you get a good speed. So at like 30-inch draw length, um, it's, it's probably perfect. Um, as you go down you don't get the benefit of having every draw force curve exactly the way it needs to be. That's what mods do. And it is more work on our end. I mean, we have to cut every single size. We have to inventory every size. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, someone with a draw length that's not at IBO 30 inches is going to be able to have most performance that their draw drawing um, is capable of.
3: Hey, Mark, real quick, if you could touch um a little bit on turning your your limbs down for weight versus those switch weights. Um, in the store, we get a lot of questions of, you know, if I've got a 70 pound bow and I'm turning it down to 60 versus a 60 pound bow at 60. Um, you know, am I losing accuracy? Is the bow getting noisier? Tuning, like in your guys' testing, what have you noticed, um, you know, from, from taking say a 70 pound bow and turning it down to 60 versus having that switch weight set up where you can, you know, keep it peaked out
1: yeah. So you don't lose accuracy and you don't lose tunability. And I want to be clear about that. If you back out your limb bolts. that limb pocket is made to be backed out and that that's for dialing in your draw, draw weight exactly where you need it to be. However, um, you do lose efficiency in, in the sort of, in the form of stored energy. So, so as you back out those limbs,
3: you're talking, you, you're talking speed then?
1: Yes. You're going to lose a considerable amount of speed if you back out um, your limbs to get a certain weight than if you would to do your mods. And that's one of the reasons why we did five pound increments so that um, you don't have such a big jump. You could go to 65 pounds with a mod and keep your limbs all the way down, uh, which will give you the most performance on your aero speed um, as possible.
0: Taking the cam um, and just moving just a little bit to the side of the switch weight mod, the Top Hat system has been around for I don't even know how many years. but About five. Five years. If you take, and that's how we're, so if we center, or you set your rest, center shot uh, on your riser at your pro shop or if you're doing it, having the ability to move your cam over um, with your Top Hat system is it's now the tail wagging the dog, so to speak, as far as tuning. And even to dip into the whole super tuning aspect, um, is that something that's that's here to stay? I know that you can't get into complete details about the future, but how successful was that for just the tunability of a Matthews?
1: Uh, huge. Now, we are really satisfied with the Top Hat system. Uh, we know there's other systems out there. However, the benefits of the Top Hat system, or what you basically just said is that, You set your rest right down the middle, and you really don't touch it again. Um, And you move your cams to line your string and the string path up with where the rest needs to be. And that way you don't have your arrow sticking way in or way out. Uh, One of the ways that you you could check where your rest is is just line the string up with the back of your grip. And our grip has a mold line right down the center that you can line the string up with. And then just see which direction your arrow is pointing. You want that arrow pointing right in line with the string that's lined up with your grip from your eyes perspective. But what the cam movement does is everybody is different. I'm guessing I cannot pick up your guys' bow and shoot a bullet hole with it. And and it would be a disservice for um, me to tune someone's bow and say, yep, got a bullet hole with it and hand it to them because at the end of the day, we all grip the bow differently we have different face pressure we have different releases and we shoot different arrows all those factors and some more affect the tune of the bow and so having the ability to move the cams uh obviously the goal is to be able to tune anything any weird grip any weird release any overspined arrow underspined arrow The top hat system is what does that. And the cool thing that other thing is that it's on the zero T axle system is what we call it. And basically all that is, is just two screws that take up any slop. So back in the day of shims and things, you're still dealing with slop because you had E-clips that are fixed in a fixed position. Right now, we have top hats that always stay the same width. And when you screw those top hats together, you suck up any of the gap that there was. Um, so once you set it, it'll never move. And that, and that's a big deal because when you finally get your tune figured out with your grip and your, uh, release and your arrow, you want that thing to stay locked all season. And, and that's kind of what the zero axle was meant to do. Um, but yeah, I think the top hat system in general has allowed a lot of people to, sh- to shoot and, and accommodate a lot of people because back in the day, you're kind of out of luck you're if one guy shoots a bullet hole and the other well you can blame it on their grip we're not in the business of changing someone's form we want to accommodate your form that you're comfortable with because when you're comfortable you're going to be a better shot and that's kind of what the top hat system will will do
0: and i can touch on that from like a pro shot perspective um this is john by the way um you know, when we have guys coming in getting their bows set up, just yesterday I had a guy that uh, has a VXR, decided to change arrows, and um, he was messing with it at home, and he had to bring his, his rest noticeably out of center shot. Uh, brought the bow in within 15, 20 minutes, having him shoot through paper, um, seeing which kind of a tear he was getting. We were able to get his center shot back, you know, adjust those top hats, get things flying perfect for him, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't an hour-long process. I mean, in, in 15, 20 minutes of just quality one-on-one work, a guy can have that bow, like you said, in tune, stay in tune. He's going to shoot it better. He's going to get a better broadhead performance, better flight out of that, and overall, you know, a
2: better end result.
1: That's great. Yeah, that, those are the stories we like hearing for sure. And and not only does it shoot good, it, it looks right too, and you don't have to do funny things. Like it, it might have been tuned where he had it out of center shot, like tuned – in, in, a, in the way that the arrow might be coming out clean. But it's way out of center shot, and that messes with your um, whole sight picture. you got to move your sight way out or way in to accommodate that. You're looking at the side of the riser, or the bow looks crooked when you're aiming that way. Um, and, and so it is part just feel and comfort that not only is it tuned, which you can do by taking the center shot out, if, if the bow's not set up for you, but it, it looks good, too, because everything's right down the middle. Your sight picture's going to be perfect at that point.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's, you know, people that have a little bit older bow, and they're maybe like, well, you know, mine still shoots okay, or, or I mean, those are the things that may seem small, um, but I can tell you on the pro shop side of things and getting things tuned and set up, like, those little things make such a big difference in getting that bow shooting well. And, you know, I think for the hunter, that translates into, you know, better broadhead flight. You know, getting we can get fixed heads to hit where your your field tips are. I mean, less, less problems, you're able to practice more efficient. You're able to be more proficient with your equipment because of that. Um, and those aren't the things that you just pick up and go in the demo range and shoot it, and you feel that there's a top hat system in there, right. you know. But I, right. know, I know for us, like, I mean the days of having bows where it's like oh, for the individual that comes in and there's nothing wrong with the bow, but his form and he, we can't get it to tune for him are, are over because of those systems. I mean, we can move things around very easily.
1: Yeah. And I think that what you're saying is you have options because of it. You, you don't have to send someone out the door like, well, sorry, this is the best we can do because the product doesn't have a solution. Right. So like we're, the top head system is a solution to get everybody shooting their bow, how it should be shot. And, and that's what I'm hearing from you is that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And the greatest compliment, um, when we have to encourage guys to not shoot at one spot, when we have guys that are coming in and spending a lot more money on arrows, Uh, because the repeatability, uh, you know, an archery in a hole, rather you're a target archer or you're a hunter, um, you have to have confidence in your equipment, and you have to make the same shot. Rather be 60 shots or 10 in the backyard. It has to be the same. And with the platform that we're seeing in Matthews the last 10 years, and, of course, it's older than that, but it, it can be consistent shot after shot after shot. And like you say, you guys aren't about changing somebody's form and we can help aid in some form flaws, but now haven't we can build the bow or, or tune the bow around an individual. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge compliment when you have to refletch arrows or get them new arrows.
1: <laughs> that is definitely. And I think, uh, you know, we have, we have some testing systems that we get to see that puts thousands and thousands of shots on, on a bow. And it is, it is quite a g- great thing to be able to pull that out of that machine and that it's still, everything has, hasn't moved. Um, and that's, that's kind of the goal and that's what you're getting at that. The, in, in the simplest terms, the, all the bow has to do is repeat. And it's easy to say hard to engineer that way, but that is the simplest thing that this system just has to repeat for as long and no matter what condition that it is. in, it has to repeat.
0: I love that word, repeatability. Um, the in, so back in the day, Matthew's grip, and there was some aftermarket grips, and then Matthew's come out with some grips, but that problem has been solved. It wasn't a problem. It was just the way it was designed. Uh, now the engage grip, how much success have you seen from that? Rather, you shooting the way that it comes or the side plate design. Um, just that angle configuration in your riser, um, that adds to repeatability as well. Uh, how, how important is that in
1: your bow? It, it's been huge and it, it's been, I kind of want to harp on this here. It, it was a huge decision as a company. So you're right. We had a grip for a while and then there's some other grips that we had added. However, if you would pull the grip off of any bow before the engaged grip, the, what you would find underneath the riser was the exact same for 26 years. and and it has not changed because it it worked for us and we were able to build really good grip platforms around that interface i'll call it on the riser Um, what the engage grip brought was the first time ever in our history a brand new grip interface meaning old grips do not fit on this and you need a whole new set of new grips to fit on it and so we did not take that decision lightly we were not going to do it unless it was perfect Um, but what we ended up with was something that has been received extremely well, um, and I'll just touch on some of the features of why we think that it's been received well and why we are just loving the new uh, grip in general, but we really just, we we were able to pull everything back and say, okay, what is a good grip and, and start from scratch? Because we knew that if we didn't nail it, we weren't going to do it. Um, so we just basically pulled it all off. It was all or nothing type of project, which is great. Because when you start with a blank sheet of paper, normally your designs are better. Um, When there's not constraints pinning you down, uh, that you can just start from scratch. And that's kind of what this engage grip was. And the first thing we looked at was the angle of attack. So um, we had an eight degree riser angle and a 10 degree grip that went on it. Um, That's a pretty low risk. um, uh, uh, grip, sorry. And what that, and that's really good. A lot of people liked it. However, if you wanted any higher than that, you had to start creeping that angle on your grip up. And what happened was that grip got chunky. Uh, we didn't like that feel. If you're shooting like a 17 degree grip, which is pretty standard on some bows, um, our grip was very thick in the forward and back direction because we started with such a shallow angle um so our goal is to find where's the happy medium where can we be where people can still shoot a high risk but the people that shot a low risk that are used to our matthews bows are still going to feel comfortable and we landed on 14 degrees kind of split the middle there uh what but what that allowed us to do is that now you can go to a 17 degree grip or an aftermarket grip or something that is not going to feel real chunky it's still going to be small in your hand and feel comfortable so that we started there at the angle and i think we really nailed that um but as you go more of an angle and we're going to slide up the grip here i'm going to call it a beaver tail that's what they call it in the ar world but we we wanted a grip that had a deep throat we did do, you don't want to Feel like you're sliding up that grip and that you're getting smashed or even slipping off of the top of that grip because with an angle and you're sweaty or whatever it will do that it will slide up so we wanted a deep grip that you're not putting your hand on you're putting your hand in the grip and that's kind of the thought process we had there so we have that beaver tail that kind of flips over the back super comfortable and and really just gives you that secure repeatable spot to put your hand Now, as you get deeper in the throat, and we're getting into two other features here, you'll notice there's like a side swoop for your index finger. We do not wanna pin down your thumb or your index finger. And, And that's what would happen at times if you had a deep throat with a hard wall, it would pinch your fingers and your thumb. So we have a nice swoop at an angle for your index finger to just naturally wrap up on And then the backside, and we actually cut this into the riser itself, but we have a thumb release as well. So you don't get that pinching of the thumb. So the goal is to just have a comfortable, repeatable grip that you don't have any influence on because you're getting crammed in a spot that wasn't made for your hand. It was completely made for your hand and how multiple shooters will shoot it because different side weights and things will change your pressures, but the grip was made to accommodate all those things. And you mentioned the side plates, and that, that's another option that we had offered that has all those features, but also in a thinner platform and a more square back. Some people like that square back, and that's what you would get with those side plates.
2: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, a lot of the new platform now is choices. You know, I mean, like, you know, I think out of this, guys that are here right now, we're all probably shooting something different. You know, I love the side plates. Yeah, that's I given on me my bow too. Yeah, that's given me a whole different feel, and it's also – since I'm shooting a TRX and on my target platform, I can make that bow feel good as a target bow and then replicate that on my bow hunting setup and not have a whole different feel all of a sudden. Um, but I right. think, you know, you guys have just done such a good job of giving those options. And I think that's too to like somebody listening to this that wants to come in and shoot a VXR um, to also like, if you pick that thing up and that grip that's on there is the thing that you don't think is what you like, there's options. You know, you guys have done a really good job of, of picking those things apart and listening to your customers. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, seeing you guys at the shoots and different events um, and having, you know, yourself, the engineer team, the sales team, you know, talking to different people and, and listening to, you know, what's working for you guys? What isn't? What do you like? What don't you don't you like with it?
1: For sure. And I just want to mention, too, that we are game on for the aftermarket grips and we actually have really good relationships with the people that make some aftermarket grips for us and and we want that to happen Uh, we we share uh, the solid models of our risers so that they can make a better grip fit our bow and like you said there's tons of options we don't have the only two options of the side plate and the gauge grip there are companies out there that are making great products that fit um, this because like you said it's one of the most personal things on your bow. You guys all probably have a different style and your grip and probably all are shooting different grips. And, um, that's really, if you want to talk about personalization, that's probably one of the main places. And it can be, like I said before, we're just like excited that other companies are making different styles to fit that interface.
0: That, uh, that adds a whole lot to your bow. Let's talk just a little bit on. So, the VXR comes in a 28 inch model or 31 and a half. And for a a bigger guy like myself, longer draw length, if you say the word, if it's under 32 inches or 33 inches, usually I kind of turn my head until I grab the 31 and a half. And of course, you know, we got a chance to see what it does. But from a target platform, the length of that riser, uh, a lot of our target bows, you know, 36 up to 40. It's a super long riser and that correlates back to holding steady on your target, um, which is going to add forgiveness. It's your anticipation level goes down. You can really execute a shot. This is the first bow in my life that's been under the 32 mark as far as axle to axle is what I'm talking about length. But your riser is so incredibly long that it's a shorter axle to axle hunting bow that out to... You know 60 yards my pin the pin float has gone completely away on a hunting boat almost to the point of where you get somewhat scared like you know the engineering aspect did you take that from a target platform or was it something that you you guys have been dealing you know on some of your other bows you had a really long platform as far as the riser where did the where did the riser length on the 31 and a half come from
1: yeah thanks for bringing that up and you, you kind of nailed it um we for sure took that from our target line if you look at our target line it has just gotten longer longer riser shorter wider limb platform i mean that in our opinion gives you the most steady aim the most stable on the shot there's a lot of things happening as soon as you fire that release so it's stable on the shot and then torsionally rigid limb. so yeah long riser short limb platforms we have just put all of our eggs in that basket for our target line right now because it is a better system now it's hard to do that on a hunting bow um, because you don't want a bow that's unwieldy. And it, it's funny that you say 32 is your cutoff because this year people are like, should I get the short one or the long one? Well, traditionally, 31 and a half is pretty short bow. I mean, it, it's not long by anyone's standards. If you're going off of the ATA mark, like you said, um, but we're trying to change the narrative because, in our opinion that the axle to axle these days does not correlate to exactly what you're trying to correlate it to, which is stability. In our opinion, it comes in the riser. And like you said, the 31 and a half has the longest riser of any mainline bow that we've ever had, not to mention just per axle to axle length. Like it, it is the longest riser we've ever put on a flagship hunting bow. Now, if you compare it to how long that riser is to the axle to axle, it's crazy because it is so parallel limb um, because at the end of the day, we wanted the stability of the long riser, but not the unwieldiness of a long axle-by-axle. And that's where that 31.5 and also on the 28 did too. But just to put it in perspective, people might remember our Halon line and we had the Halon 32. If you would put that our a 31.5 riser on a Halon, it would make a Halon 34. That's how long this riser is. And that's the stability that you're getting in a pretty compact platform, 31 and a half axle by axle. So, yeah, we are super pleased with um, how well the long riser has done. And I, I swear you could win tournaments with that 31 and a half. It is just unbelievably stable. And like you said, super quiet and great for hunting. But just from an accuracy standpoint and for your ability to aim, that long riser is so to speak huge it it is just like um it's exactly what you want when you're aiming at long range you want a very stable platform And, and matt says it in one of the videos he did this year and i thought it was a good illustration that if you had a broomstick with two one pound weights and you slid those weights to the middle and swung that that broomstick back and forth you could swing it pretty fast you move those one pound weights to the end of your broomstick They're just one pound, but when you try to swing it back and forth, it would be way, way slower. You would not be able to swing it back and forth anywhere near as fast as you would when they're at the center. And that's kind of the thought process, that the longer riser is going to be more steady during the aiming process and then especially during the shot process.
2: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, well, traditionally, like when the 31.5 and and the 28 came out this year, I'm like, well, no contest, 31.5. That's 28 a 30-inch draw, you know, 6'3". That isn't going to work for me. I got a 31 I love my 31 but setting up a lot of 28s for guys and shooting them and shooting them and setting them up. Finally got to the point that bow shoots so well, I'm like, I got to have a 28 too, this thing. You know, it, it, it doesn't shoot like a short axle axle bow. Um, and then for a ground blind or in a tree stand situation, it's a nice compact bow and is super stable as well.
3: Hey, Mark, could you... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was going to ask, so like maybe 10 years ago or so, like a 7-inch brace height was kind of the norm, and now on most of your, you know, flagship hunting bows, across the board for most companies it's around 6. Can you touch on, like, with how the bows are designed now, how you've been able to shorten up the brace height but but not lose any accuracy on that? Because we get a lot of questions about, um, you know, the brace height on bows, and a lot of guys I think are still stuck on you know, feeling like they need that seven inch brace height. Could you just maybe explain a little bit on, you know, how the new designs are?
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'll, I'll draw a parallel line to that. If you look at our target line, um, our flagship target bows this year were a seven inch brace height and a six and a half inch brace sight on a target bow. I mean, that again was unheard of in the reason we can do that is, is multiple things, but it, it comes down to technology. And the main one I'm going to say is the cross-centric cams um, are paramount to this because for the first time ever, the arrow is coming out of the center of the string and the bow, and the, the string tracks are cross-centric, meaning half of the, the track is a perfect circle. So the, the horizontal knock travel is just unbelievably straight. You do not have the woes of um, the old eccentric cams back on the day on the, the target bows. Um, to combine with that, the 0T axles, like I said earlier, are taking up all the swap, So you don't have the um, shifting of the cam back and forth like um, that you did. And then I'm going to go a step further and talk about the short wide limbs because the torsional rigidity of short wide limbs, um, creates repeatability all those things there's a couple other that i won't touch on but all those things are going to combine in a system that repeats every time and if it repeats every time you don't you can get away with a shorter brace height because what a what a longer brace height does is take up some of the faults of the other components and that back in the day we had those we had short risers with super long limbs that could twist and bend we had Axles with Eclipse with three 16 diameter that bent a little and they had slop in the axles and you had eccentrics that weren't perfectly timed and the bow was and the arrow wasn't coming out of the center of the bow. Um, as we get further along and we're improving those things, you can get away with a, a shorter brace type bow and, and at the end of the day, why wouldn't you? Why why wouldn't you Take the advantages that you've gained and push um, the speed of the arrow that you can get comfortably in a platform that is going to be even more accurate than the 9, 10-inch brace heights of the past. And that's really the thought process there that as things get better, we get to push the performance even more. Um, Where if you would push that performance with bad components from a few years ago, you would not have the same results.
0: The, uh, the aspects, and there's a lot of things that are the implemented into the bow that are Matthews. And let's face it, as a consumer, even as a pro shop owner or pro shop employees, it's got to look cool. And the finish on Matthews and the new Ambush green um, lights out, and congratulations on that. But more or less what I'm talking about is a person, a customer, can go on Matthews' website, and they can design... I mean, pretty much everything. You can have a different limb color. You can have a riser, a solid riser, a camel riser with different limbs. And then you, you can even go a step further and get different string colors and uh, like the monkey tails and, and going about that. I think that's pretty dang unique to Matthews, and it's been around for a couple of years. Uh, we see it a bunch in the pro shop. Guys, will, they'll bring in you know, fill a fill up piece of paper that has everything there. Uh, was that an idea that you guys always had stored? Is it something you're going to continue on on your website, the design-your-own-bow?
1: Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to continue that. And that was um, that's an idea that we had wanted to do for a while. Um, but to do that, I mean, it takes a lot of behind-the-scenes manufacturing capabilities to do that well and to keep good inventory and things. So we were because of the changes and, and things that we've implemented into our manufacturing and inventory systems, we're able to do that, which has always been something you want to do. You want to give the consumer as much options as possible, but you also need to be able to complete that uh, on the manufacturing end. So, yeah, I mean, I my hat's off to uh, our manufacturing and inventory team to be good enough at what they do to be able to handle those things so that the consumer gets a better product in the end. But we need to make sure on our end that we're capable of doing that. And not until recently did we feel comfortable that we could do that in a timely manner and um, do it well.
2: And I think that brings up a point right there too, you know, by how you answered that question on the manufacturing side of things. Um, You know, when you get a lifetime warranty on a Matthews product, you got, parts coming for that bow Um, and I think kind of what you know they allude to on that too is you know we have 20 year old bow that maybe something goes wrong with that Matthew still has the tooling and still makes the parts for Um, where a lot of companies don't do that a lot of companies are like well we don't make that part anymore sorry Um, so you know I think every time you guys have all those options I can't imagine how that just keeps growing and growing and growing over those years.
1: It does keep growing for sure, and our, our warranty department has evolved uh, a lot in the last few years, And but it's all circled around, like you said, we, we offer a lifetime warranty, and we will stand by that. Um, one of our core values is integrity, um, and we stand by uh, any warranty defects for the lifetime of the product, and that includes... Some really hard stuff on the manufacturing end for us, because you're right. We have to inventory and be able to make parts that we haven't made for 10, 20 years at sometimes. And um, so it is a hard thing to navigate, but something that Matt has just been totally um, 100% for. That no matter what we said, you have a lifetime warranty. We were, we are going to have those parts, or we're going to have a solution for you um, to get your bow back working. Because at the end of the day, uh, we see our dealers and our customers and the consumers as family uh, of this, of this place. And we want to treat them like we would want to be treated that they spent their hard earned money on our product. We want to make sure that it's performing for them as long as they want it to.
0: And the integrity of that, um, going from a consumer now to somebody that helps set up bows and selling bows, you can relate it to other industries, the complexity and the breakdown of engineering, the products. If you buy a Matthews, okay, doesn't matter what model, but compare it to like a Ranger boat, you have all of the engineering aspects, the quality design of it. It's going to last you. If you're not getting a bow every other year or every year, your bow is going to be, you know, up to par and you guys will take care of that bow. And of course the new bells and whistles, everyone wants something a little bit new, but just the integrity, like you say, in the design aspect, uh, the core values of Matthews stands above and beyond, you know, and not just the archery industry, but as a total, the company is, is a very, very solid foundation.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I will mention one thing too, that it's a, double-edged sword on that warranty, too, because one of the ways to make it easier for us to have a lifetime warranty is to create products that last a lifetime. So as a design team, we are extremely motivated to make products and components that do not fail. And if they fail, we have this robust warranty department that can solve the issue. But it starts with the design, good components that can last a lifetime. We do extreme amount of testing on our stuff, um, to ensure that it will perform because at the end of the day, our the consumers of the our product work and um, use the products in remote places. And so it, they have to be able to rely on it no matter what.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, I think in anything, you're spending your hard-earned money, it's nice to, to know you're spending it in somewhere you can count on it. Um, and I, you know, I think that's something people need to take into, into that uh, equation when they're looking at a new bow as well. Um, we're gonna start wrapping things up here a little bit. I know Mark's got a, a busy day. What do you got on the docket for this fall, Mark? For hunts?
1: <laughs> um. So I have an exciting thing, but it means I'm not doing money hunts. We got a baby coming August twentieth. Bad timing, but very excited um so i am and then we had three family weddings this fall so um i am excited though i have chased two well i should say three specific bucks around wisconsin last year um they slipped through got close to them but this year um i'm gonna be i did this this would be our third child and uh when my second son came he came in september and it was a similar year where i could not do any western hunts or anything and um so i cut basically just concentrated on Wisconsin. I'm going to kill a buck in Wisconsin was able to do that. And it, I think it was because it was a singular focus. So I'm excited. I'm excited for a singular focus year. I haven't had one of those a couple years and I'm excited to try to just kill a mature whitetail in my home state.
0: That is uh that's a cool, cool thing coming to you. And congrats on the third. But uh, Thank I you. think uh, if there's anything else, is there anything else you want to probe or, uh, you know go into in detail
1: no I, I appreciate you guys and i had fun on this this was a good hour break from my my day so
0: well we could talk appreciate- for many more hours and we appreciate you mark um, brandon jake john um, if you guys haven't ever shot a matthews we encourage you to come into the shop we can set you up and like you say just experience the shooting experience more or less but uh, we'll put some links, and we'll put the Matthews. You can get on there, uh, the World Wide Web, and check out that. Build your own bow and come in and see us. Again, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, uh, we're going to be expanding on some different platforms. We've got a ton of cool things coming up. Thanks again, Mark. And on behalf of Archery Country Podcast, my name is Wade. We will see you down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast.